Well, uh, have a seat. If you are going to follow along in your Bible, uh, I'm going to spend most of the time in Romans chapter 1, so you can turn there, and then we'll start, if you want to you hold your finger in that, we'll start in, in Mark uh, chapter 12. So Romans, Romans chapter 1, that's about the sixth book, give or take, of the New Testament, if that helps you track it down. Um, I, I feel like I should begin uh, today, because we're, we're in a series, we, we just started last week. Uh, can, we, can we mute the pad? Uh, we, uh, we, we just started last week in the series called No Compartments, and, and I feel like I should begin with just repenting. Like, I, I don't know, this feels like a safe place. You guys won't, won't make fun of me or uh, 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 lose my train of thought. <laughs> we'll, we'll mute Randall. I can play the keys. Uh, we, can play, we can play a song. I can't think. Uh, no, uh, we, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll begin with a little repentance because uh, I'm about to teach a message on the mind. Uh, and then last week, I made a really dumb mistake. And I've done some embarrassing things uh, from, from the stage. Uh, I remember one time many years ago, uh, I preached uh, both services. And, and at the end of uh, two services, I felt like they were the best sermon I've ever preached in my life. And then I get in my truck, and there was a booger in my nose. And apparently had been in there the whole time, and nobody said anything. What I'm about to tell you is more embarrassing than that. I, uh, the, the second best sermon I ever preached was probably six months ago, eight months ago. Uh, and, and it was like, that was a amazing. I felt like the spirit moved in my words and it was so good. And then I get off the stage and someone hands me a note. And my fly was open the whole time. So embarrassing. What I'm about to tell you is even more embarrassing than that is that last week I announced for you to track down all of these adjectives. And it turns out they weren't even adjectives. They were nouns. Every one of them were nouns. And I had like five or six people come up to me and it was, they were kind of like, Jesse, I don't want you to be like too. And I was like, thank you. I need to know that. And I don't know if there's a therapist in the room who could tell me why this is eating on me more than the other things. But the fact that, the fact that I got nouns and adjectives wrong is just, it, 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 you know, it, it is what it is. It, it happens. So I apologize uh, and I publicly repent. And the irony is that the irony of that is, is that uh, just a week or two before that, I talked about being better at English than I am math, and that this week, I'm going to talk about how we need to be sharp with our mind, because that's what God has called us to. So in, in the way of the Lord's comedic timing, uh, we have all of the illustration we need for today. Um, we're in this series called No Compartments, because uh, like most adults, uh, we tend to have the self that we bring to church, and the self that we bring to work, and the self that we kind of interact with our spouse with, and the self that we uh, talk to our kids with. And if we're not careful, what's happened is, is that those selves have grown in opposite directions and they look very different. We've, we've created compartments that we live different lives through here. There are different personalities. And then, you know, it's the weirdest thing ever when you're with your family and like one of your friends from your friend circle shows up, you're like, I don't know which one of me I'm supposed to bring to this meal or how I'm supposed to act. And what we see in scripture is that the Lord has invited us and in fact has freed us, I would add, to live a compartment-free, no-compartment life because there's freedom to be just this one. And so uh, the passage that we looked at last week, I want to reference just a few of the verses, is in Mark chapter 12. Uh, and so we'll look at verses just 29 and 30 just to kind of lay the, the groundwork. And Jesus, if, if you were here last week, this is a repeat, but Jesus quotes the Old Testament. He quotes a portion of the Deuteronomy called the Shema. Uh, and he says in verse 29, uh, the most important, he was asked, what is the most important thing we should do? And he says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God. Remember all of these, they're nouns, okay? Don't get it wrong. <laughs> love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. 
And what Jesus is inviting us to do is that we look at these four components and we learn to love God with our, with our heart. We learn to love God with our soul. We love to learn God with our mind. And we love the Lord God. Uh, love to, we learn to love the Lord God with our strength. And if we get those four things right, we, we are compartment free and we're one. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one. And it turns out he invites us to break through all of those walls and then we can love him as one unit. Uh, any, any video gamers in here? Anybody dig the video game genre? A few of us, yeah? Okay, yeah, I, I dig it. Some of my favorite games out there, uh, and this could be like some, some version of Madden, or this could be like RPGs and stuff, but one, one of my favorite things in games is that when you start a character and he's undeveloped and you have like this chart, like a thing like a diamond, and everything's at a one or a zero, and then, and then you do something and maybe you finish a season, you complete a pass, you have a great game, or whatever's going on, and then you get these like experience points, and then you have the choice, you look at that menu and you have the choice, like, do I put it on like speed or do I put it on strength or do I put it on, on, uh, uh, I don't know, intelligence. Do I put it on the, and you kind of grow your character as the game goes on. You ultimately want that character to be full in all of those areas. Right. But early in the game, you have to make choices as based on what's going to happen next. You have to make choices on what area you're going to grow in. And so today the choice that we're making is that we're going to grow in mind. I want to look at the mind. I want to ask, uh, maybe, maybe if we can all just put, on our thinking hats today. We're going to get a little nerdy, but bear with me. We're going to look at the mind. How is it that you can love the Lord your God with your mind? Isn't it true, though, that we have a lot of churches and a lot of, a lot of the current, maybe American preaching is, listen, don't ask the hard questions. In fact, church isn't even the space for your hard questions, that you, you just need to have faith that God's going to work this out, right? Don't stop asking questions. Just believe the things that I'm telling you and, and have faith. That's, that is not loving the Lord your God with your mind. That is just taking everything that someone feeds you. To love the Lord your God with your mind is to think sharply, be consistent, and, and uh, try to apply yourself. Another thing that it is not, it is not loving God because you're smart. This is not a measurement of intelligence. It's using what the Lord has given you and applying it to your faith and to God. So uh, the Greek word for mind, as you uh, may, I'm sure everybody remembers this, so you've tattooed it on your arm by now, is uh, dionoia. It is not an easy word to pronounce. Dionoia is the Greek word that's used right here for mind. Uh, and what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about, is the part of our mind that is our intellect, it's our understanding understanding. It's the part of your mind that you're holding all this information in right now. It, hopefully, it's the part of your mind that you're engaging in this conversation with. Uh, it's the part of your mind that you use to reason through things. Whenever you figure, okay, well, the, the light is red, I've come to a full stop, and it's time for me to turn right on red. You're using your dianoia to kind of process the safety of that. And sometimes your dianoia is right. Okay, it's safe. I'm going to pull out. And sometimes what? It's, it's wrong. You go to pull out and someone runs the red light next to you or uh, you, you say, well, you know, three plus three is, is seven. And I remember that from math. And, and then someone reminds you, he's like, no, dummy, it's six. And you're like, oh, how could I get the adjectives and nouns wrong? I'm such a dummy. Uh, the the dionaia is, is fallible, but we're invited to take it to the Lord. We're invited to engage with our mind and to think through the things of God and ask questions. You know, Paul, he, he would later uh, uh, celebrate the Bereans because they didn't just take everything he said. They took what he said and then they went home or they went to their place and they tested everything that he said using scriptures. They engaged their dionaia to engage their mind 
to see if what Paul was saying checks out. Is this true about Jesus? Because he's making a lot of claims about Jesus and he's making a lot of claims about the Father. So let's back up. What do we have? Well, we have the Old Testament scriptures and it promises a Messiah. It promises this. It tells us to live this way. And everything Paul says, yes, it does fit with that. And so they engaged their mind and they found more truth and more reasons to worship. See, sometimes we think of worship as just, it's all emotion and feeling. And there's room for emotion, there's room for feeling. We'll talk about that at a future week. But there's also room for your mind to engage. There are some churches that say that you're not worshiping until you are eyes closed, crying, hands up, fully. You know, and, and that's a way to worship. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm an introvert, if you see me raise my hands, I'm just testing it that week, okay? Because, because here's what I know about myself, no joke, is the moment that I raise my hands, I am immediately self-conscious. I am no longer thinking about the words. I'm no longer engaged in worship. I'm just thinking, is my hand in front of somebody's eyes right now? Am I, am I, am I, do they think I'm faking it? And every time I've tried it, I want to be that free, but every time I've tried it, I move out of worship. I feel myself move out of worship and my mind is no longer engaged and I'm thinking about all of you people and I shouldn't be. And so you know what I do? I worship with my hands in my pocket and I dare somebody to tell me I'm not worshiping the Lord. I am fully gone. Like I'm as invisible as I can be watching scripture. Some of you are like, well, I want to raise my hands. Praise God, raise your hands. Some of you are like, you know, I've been raising my hands, but I sure do wish somebody would let me have a break. Okay, then put your hands in your pocket like me uh, and, and worship. Uh, whatever it takes to keep your mind engaged in the worship. Uh, what, what I'm going to make the argument for is this, is that followers of Jesus should have a reputation, and, and honestly, we don't yet, but followers of Jesus should have a reputation of thorough and thoughtful reasoning, reasoning as well as quiet listening. We should be the group of people most known for thinking through things all the way to their logical conclusion and just quietly listening to people, not jumping into the conversation. We just, you know, James would say, be, be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? And so we should, be, we should be quick to be quiet listeners. We should be quick to say, I don't know, when we don't know the answer to something instead of just jumping in there or instead of shutting somebody down because they have a differing viewpoint politically or uh, con you know, uh, pop culture issue, whatever. We just, you know, I, I don't really know the answer to that and that's okay. And then just sit back and listen. Uh, let's open with uh, Romans 1 uh, and look at something that Paul said here. Uh, the reason why I go to Romans for this is uh, because there's few books of the Bible that are more logically uh, consistent, logically flowing than the book of Romans. Paul is a smart guy, He's smarter than all of us in this room, including me. Uh, and the way that Paul writes Romans especially it's meant to be an argument. He wants to engage in the Roman mind. He's writing to the church in Rome, uh, the, this church has like schools of philosophers. All they do, these schools of philosophers, they wake up in the morning, they drink their coffee and scramble their eggs, they get through that, and then when they go to work, they just go sit on a hill and argue philosophical things like, how do we know the sun is even in the sky right now? And then they just debate it for, for all hours long. And there's like three of you in here that sounds really awesome and exciting, and the rest of you are like, I, I would rather go do something else. Well, they did. So, so some people went and did something else, and some, some just nerded out. And because Paul is writing to them, so much of, his, of the book of Romans is, uh, he makes this statement an observation. And because this statement is true, this next thing follows. And because this is true, this next thing follows. And because this is true, et cetera, et cetera. The whole book of Romans is like, I've said this, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, since that's right, then we need to look at this. So let's, let's see if we can keep up with, with Paul and uh, engage our mind in our worship of the Lord. And we're starting in verse 15. 
He's, uh, he's welcomed everybody. He's told them who he is. He, I uh, can't wait to get to you. I've been trying to get to you all this time. I uh, just can't. Uh, poor guy. You know, Paul tried to go to Rome one time and a ship sunk and he had to swim onto a shore and like there's snakes. Like a whole thing happened. Uh, but you can read that in Acts. And he's, to- he's telling him, he's like, I've tried to get to you guys and I can't. And so he says in, in verse 15, he says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's writing to them. He's like, you already have the gospel. So somebody brought it to you. I've been trying to get to you guys. I want to preach the gospel to you guys too. It just hadn't worked out. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Verse 15, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's, let's pause for a second. Um, a lot of times, especially in Romans, uh, but a lot of times in Scripture, if the if the clause or the sentence begins with the word "for," it's it's meant to be a logical conclusion. So, so the last statement I said, because that's true, then this is true. And so, a way that you could read that if you're doing your own Bible study is if you see the word "for" like in your head, just ask the question "why" ahead of it, right? So, uh, I'll begin real real back at 15. It says, "So I am eager to preach the gospel to you, also who are in Rome. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why?" For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? For it is the righteousness of God, uh, excuse me, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's what Paul says. He says, I want to preach the gospel to you because I'm not ashamed of this message. The, the songs we were singing had, had just all of the elements of the gospel. There's no other rescue under heaven on this earth than the name of Jesus. I am not ashamed of that message because I found truth in that message. Paul is a man who used to try to murder people for believing that thing. He, he saw it as heresy. And then he had the aha moment that, that, no, 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 there's hope in the gospel. The name of Jesus is where power is. And so I'm not ashamed of that gospel. I found, I found hope and I found so much truth in it. That's why I want to preach it to you. I want you to know truth. I want you to, to know these, these thoughts. In verse 17, it says, you know, from faith for faith, it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For Paul, he is connecting the dots between engaging your mind and it informing your faith. In the American church, those are two separate categories. Mind is something you do in school and faith is what you do in church. You take these on faith claims and you take these on truth claims. And Paul says, there doesn't need to be that compartment. He's saying that that these things actually inform one another. There are a few things, a very small number of things, that we take on blind faith. Uh, Most of the things that we believe as Christians are logical conclusions. We've used our reasoning in this world to to see, well, if that's true and God said this, then this is true. And I've experienced this, so that's true. Therefore, my faith is is increased. They're not separate categories that our mind informs our faith. To love the Lord your God with your mind will increase your faith in him to know more about who he is. Verse 18. Uh, so he just said the righteous shall live by faith. Why? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Again, the mind. He's saying, he's saying we live by faith because there's a group of people that they take, they take things of the mind and they suppress truth. They, they lie to us. Um, we're Americans. Uh, I believe the year is still 2020. Um, is it not true that we have a, a, an entire media infrastructure that is just shoveling nonsense 
in our way, things that we should be afraid of, people that, that never said the thing that they're supposed to say. We have, do you guys know what deep fakes are now? Do you, do, like, do you know that we have enough computer technology to take your face and things you've never said, but use your voice and make a video of you announcing a thing that you've never done? That's not future talk. That's not like sci-fi. That is currently right now. We have the technology to do that. And people do that. Like there are videos out there that are called deep fakes that are fake, never recorded videos saying things that people never said. And it's meant to do what? To suppress the truth. He's saying, he's saying that the wrath of God is revealed um, from heaven against all ungodliness. It's to be revealed. Uh, this, is, this is a nerdy moment. I'm sorry. Uh, interesting Bible study, if, if you want to. Uh, that word revealed shows up in Romans five times. It's the word apocalypse. Uh, maybe, maybe check that out on your own time. It's, it's, worth, it's worth looking into. And he's saying that, that God is revealing. He's showing his wrath to all of these unrighteous people who suppress the truth. Verse 19, why? For... What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Why? For his invisible attributes, namely his external power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Why? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. There's the mind again. Futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts. That's another word that we'll study in another week. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here, here's what Paul says. He says, listen, if you, if you just use your mind for just for one second, you think through things. There is enough evidence to prove God without the Bible at all, just in the natural created order of things. The number of scientists who are, are atheists, there's a large number of that, but do you know that there are a number of scientists that their science and their study is informing their faith, that they are theists, they are followers of, of the one true God. And the more that they study in science, the more they see the created order and how things happen. Because what science says, minus God, what science says is that we're not moving from chaos into order. What science says is that we should be moving into more chaos. We should see less order, less things that make sense in this world as as time goes on, but that's not what we see. Uh, there's a, a famous, I don't know, uh, I don't know who said it. Some, some philosopher kind of did this, this mind thought is that if you're walking along the beach and you just see seashells just randomly spread out, you think, oh, there's seashells randomly spread out. You may think, well, the tide washed them in or, or, or something. But then you round the corner and you see seashells in a perfect S, O, S, you don't think to yourself, oh, the seashell spelled out SOS. That's so wild. Like, you don't think the ocean is giving you a message. What do you think? You think that there's someone in trouble. You, you, why? Because we see what should have been chaos and random. We see order. We see organization. We see structure. And then the more that our scientists dig into the universe, they see order. They see structure. They see things that make sense. When I was in college, uh, I was taking a science class. And I don't know if you've noticed, like I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I'm even nerding out as I talk about this. And so we're, we're in science class and uh, we're, we're doing um, uh, outer space and we're looking at Hubble telescope. This is, this is before all the great telescopes we just put in the sky. Uh, and so Hubble telescope is taking pictures of this universe and here's this, here's this uh, it's not called a Pixar. There's, there's stars out there that sound like that. Oh man, I'm losing my spot. And so they, they have all these galaxies and you see all these things and then he shows this is the, the nebulous, this is a nebulous 
nebulous galaxy or something like that. And it showed all these weird tentacles. And it occurred to me as I'm looking at this image, it looks exactly like what I remember in sixth grade science. It looks exactly like the onion skin that we had to put under a microscope. You guys remember doing that? Remember like you're learning microscopes for the first time and you finally get that thing in focus and it's wild what that thing looks like, all the, all the little bits. And so at the end of class, I, I'm like, I kind of hang out and I go up to the professor and I was like, hey, that is so cool. That one picture of the sky, uh, I said, I said uh, that, that reminds me that it's so weird that it's, you're talking like the size of the universe, the size of a galaxy, right? Uh, and it looks exactly like this microscopic speck of an onion skin. That's cool to me. Like I, I just, I'm just announcing something cool and he kind of sits back and he smiles and he says, he says, well, he says, if, if you're an atheist, that's, that's just random coincidence. But if you're a theist, if you believe in God, like I do, he says, you would think that as an artist, you start to see a signature on different things all across the universe. Like, isn't that wild? You know, people, people try to forge a painting of, of Rembrandt and the, 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 the experts can go into it and look at it under a microscope and say, that's not a Rembrandt. How do you know? Because Rembrandt had his brush strokes go this way, not that way. And when we look at the entire created order of our universe, whether we're looking at the microscopic, whether we're looking at your DNA or we're looking at onion skins or we're looking at galaxies, we see the fingerprints of the created God with his fingerprint, with his, with his, with his brush strokes all throughout. Why? Because it's the same artist. And he knew what he was doing. And Paul is making the argument. He says, if you just pause and look at, at the world and how it's made, there is no excuse to not believe in God. Specifically, uh, he says this, and uh, I'm going to back up a little bit, but verse uh, 20, it says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Let's be very specific. There is enough information in the created order to come to the conclusion that God is big, God is powerful, and God is there, that he's a God of order. However, there is not enough information to come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is just by looking at that. It would require, because it's only his invisible attributes, his, his divinity and, and his, his power is, is made manifest on display in the created order. But it would require that God to step into our creation and send his son and say, I am the son of God. Jesus is the son of God and he has come for God so loved the world that he sent me that you don't have to perish. It would require that God to show up and for us to have some knowledge of that, for us to have saving knowledge of him. And so the mind gets us to a knowledge of who God is, but the mind alone is not enough to come to saving knowledge with God. It requires him to intervene with us. Are you guys doing okay? Are we, like we're, we're nerding out, like we're deep in the mind stuff here. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, in verse 22, it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Um, I don't really need to point at any one specific person, but I think we can all think of like enough people who like, they claim to be the smartest person around. And you're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You're just, you're just talking off your dome. You're just trying to make us angry. Paul is writing this almost 2,000 years ago. He's like, yeah, a lot of people claiming to be wise, they're really foolish. And we're sitting here in 2022 like, yep, <laughs> still happening, isn't it? Verse 24, after all these things. Now, uh, I, I didn't count them, but somewhere around 10 times, he had that four word at the beginning, the F-O-R. So he's made this argument, like 10 steps he's taken. And then we get to verse 24. Uh, and it's now because if you add all these things up, here's the conclusion, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. There are some um, uh, theologians that look at this and they say, they say that this is actually a grace of God. Some people look at this and say this is a judgment of God. 
But the, the argument is this, is that as, as people have run away from God, uh, instead of God constantly twinging their conscience, there's a doling effect that happens. Um, we, we had our community group and we were talking about in our community group uh, being dead to sin. And as we were having this conversation, someone was like, you know, before I knew who Christ was, I could sin and I never felt any guilt at all. Like it was, it was awesome. And then I came, I came to know who Jesus was and I had saving grace in Jesus. And then like a few months later, I tried that sin out again and it hurt more than it ever hurt before. Like it, why? Because you're now alive to sin. The dullness has gone away. Paul wrote about this here and he says, you know, because, because people have run from God and the plain things that were clear to them, he says that he has dulled their senses. Continuing verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Uh, we're all guilty of that. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Man, this list is rough. Uh, disobedient to parents. Oh my gosh, parents. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. And here's, here's where we're at. Some of you kept up with me all the way through uh, to that last verse that I just read. And some of us stopped right on the homosexual stuff. And it's like, that's what we're going to talk about, right? There's a whole list of stuff that's happening right here. And what Paul is saying is that because people have given up the, the truth and have adopted a lie instead, and because God has let their senses be dulled to it and the convictions of their heart be dulled to it, then we get all of this manner of problems. This is not, and I'll be very clear about this, this is not a passage about homosexuality. It is a passage that includes homosexuality and it's about truth versus a lie. That's all it is. And the truth is, is that in the created order and the way that God has arranged things, there, there, is, there is beauty in engaging our mind in that. But when we allow the lie to take root, when we allow people to suppress the truth in whatever manner, then you get all of these things that aren't a part, a part of the created order. In verse 32, it says, though they know God's decree, they not only do them, but they also give approval to practice them, that people would choose the lie, whatever lie you want to take as an example, they choose the lie over the truth. Therefore, verse one, this is the, the worst place to put a chapter break. Uh, verse one of the next chapter, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Shame on any church who would take this entire passage and say, we've got to talk about homosexuality as just the only thing that's been mentioned right there. Uh, uh, disobedience to parents, covetousness, malice, slander. Every human in the world is guilty of some sin that has been listed on there. And none of them should be present amongst the people of God. And all are representations of us accepting lies over truth. 
And though, so verse one is like, we have no excuse, every one of us who judges, because as soon as we pass a moral judgment on someone else, the fingers are pointed back at us. See, what, what we're supposed to take from this isn't a weapon to bash any, like, are we all gonna go up to the slanderers in our life and be like, Romans one said, hey, slanderer, listen to this, and we hit them. No, 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 we, we should reflect, and okay. In what ways have I not engaged my mind? In what ways have I not been consistent in my thinking? In what ways am, am, can I love the Lord my God by engaging my mind in this and, and being consistent all the way through? So here's, here's where we're at. We're going we're gonna to take Paul's style uh, of, of looking at, at things of, of reason and mind, and we're going to apply them. And, and there are some issues that the church should be better at talking about. There are some issues that as, as just as a, um, we have a reputation of just ignoring or burying our heads in the sand and not dealing with. Um, here, here are some up here. Uh, issues re- revolving science, uh, the church doesn't really engage in them well. And I, I, think, I think that we could do better at it. Uh, issues uh, regarding like the beginnings of the universe and science. Isn't that the most fascinating thing? And then you, you get into these arguments, well, the big bang, and then immediately someone's like, it wasn't a big bang, it was God. Well, I wonder, I wonder if when God said, let there be light, you think it might've been loud? I don't know, maybe really loud, <laughs> maybe like a bang sound. I don't know. Like, could, could it have been a big bang perhaps? Like who, who are we to say that when God spoke the world into existence, it didn't explode with volume and excitement? Maybe, maybe I'm just putting this out there. Maybe it's possible to believe in the big bang and that God is the one who lit the fuse on it. I'm just saying. And one thing that the Big Bang Theory does not apply for, and I'm not talking about the TV show, obviously, uh, is, is the Big Bang requires all of this matter, everything in the universe that currently is, to be into like one singular object. Matter existed. And the Big Bang does not answer the question, really, but where did that come from? You see, so, so uh, Christians who aren't engaging their mind are like, don't believe in the Big Bang. You know, well, Somebody put that matter there. Even in the Big Bang Theory, they don't, uh, they don't uh, assert for it. Uh, issues of, of uh, evolution versus creation. Uh, a lot of Christians get hung up on this. And, and, and there's beliefs that like, you know, uh, there, there's some people in this room that are creationists, it's explicitly creationists. And some people in this room is like, well, I, I leave some room for evolution. And, and then some of us are like, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Can I tell you a, a truth? This is, this is a true story. Um, there are Christians who are faithful Christians who are logically consistent that don't believe in evolution. And some of you are like, yeah, I'm one of them. Okay, great. There are also Christians who are faithful Christians who are logically consistent, who believe that God used evolution as part of the process. And, and you know what? Either one could be true. There's not enough evidence in, in either direction. What if, what if, let me ask you this, what if God used evolution to get giraffes to look as funny as, as they are? Um, the, the, I'll tell you this, as, as someone who's thought where I stand right now, if, if I could just uh, kind of say some things, I don't think that we have a, a, a foot to stand on if we believe that humans evolved from something lesser. Because when I read scripture, the way that I read it, um, that God created all of the animal kingdom, and then on the sixth day, humans are something unique and special, a special creation, fully formed in humanity. And so it seems to me that if you're going to hold some mixture of the two, you can be a young earth creationist, you can be an old earth evolutionist, but if you're going to hold some mixture of the two, you have to assert that God created humans separately and the whole rest of the animal kingdom, uh, what it is. If I'm, I'm, if I'm messing you up, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll keep going. Things of, of ethics. The Christian should be sharp thinkers of things re- regarding race and racism, issues of justice, 
issues uh, that are common today, like, like Roe v. Wade was like this big uh, conversation. And I've sat down, uh, like I said, Christians should be quick to listen, slow to speak. I've sat down with people who are, are pro-choice. I've asked them, they're, they're followers of Jesus. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? And they have reason. Like, it's not just, I hate all living things, right? Which is what, what uh, uh, pro, pro-life people tend to think. Um, also, I've talked to pro-life people that they have a reason and they, they think through it. My point is, is that Christians should be sharp thinkers about these issues. And honestly, after you've thought through it, then come to your conclusion. If you're going to be pro-life, come to pro-life because you choose to, not because the church told you to. If you're going to be pro-choice, be ready to talk about why that is and how God fits into that. Notice I'm not actually telling you any of my own beliefs, right? I'm telling you we should be sharp thinkers, uh, issues of faith. You would think like, yeah, Christians are using their mind in faith. No, we're like a lot of times we're just told this is what we believe. I'm going to read you a passage. You believe this, whether you like it or not. And Paul invites us to use our mind to think through concepts of God that are rooted in reason. Issues of, of politics. Like we can't love the Lord or God in politics. Yes, you can. You, you think through the thoughts of one position. You think through the thoughts of another position. And then come voting day, you pray about it and you vote your conscience. The Lord is leading you in whatever things that are most important to you to vote that way. And who's to say that Jesus is for one and not for the other? That's nonsense. He's not mixed up in this. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give the candidate of your choosing your vote, but engage your mind in it. And don't just take the news guy telling you which one you should vote for. Whichever one was screaming the loudest, that's, that's nonsense. And then issues of the day. The, the number of issues right now that, that pop up, and they're so divisive, it shouldn't be if we would just think about it. Issues like COVID. People are like, you know, COVID's not a big deal. I'm not going to wear a mask. Except I've done some funerals for people who died of COVID, right? So it's not that it's a, a non-issue. But then people who use the fear-mongering and say that we need all of these extra steps. Well, that's nonsense too, because like we need freedom and we need to be able to live, you know? Um, uh, mental health, uh, we could use some thinking on, uh, local, local shootings. Uh, this idea that like at the very last day of school last year, there's like two cops posted at every campus. It breaks my heart. Uh, someone catches me in the hall and it's like, hey, how's school going? She said, well, we had, a, we had a, a, a shutdown, a lockdown the other day. It was a real thing. Like there was a real uh, possible danger. We live in a world that our kids at any moment is like, all right, get under your desk and just be as quiet as you can be. Um, we as Christians shouldn't fall into, well, now we need to debate guns. No, we really don't. We just need to talk about like why we have so much fear in our world. Maybe, maybe we can have sharper conversations on this. What I'm saying is that to love the Lord your God with your mind is to think sharply, is to think consistently. Don't let one thing come out of your mouth one way and then as a hypocrite, live or act in a different way. Um, I, I'm going to go a minute over. Uh, there are a few arguments for the existence of God. You, you're not required as a Christian. I don't know if you know this or not. Atheists like, hey, I don't believe in God. Scripture says there's enough evidence for God. You're not required to prove to anybody that God exists. If you want to Google these arguments for the existence of God, uh, because you're a nerd like me and that, that would really help you out, uh, ch- check it out. They're, they're beautiful. They're, they're so well thought out. The ontological argument is there has to be something in this universe that's greater than all the other things. Whatever that thing is, that thing by definition, Definition would be God. And just so happens we believe that that's Yahweh. Okay? Uh, the, the cosmological argument is an argument based on the cosmos. Look around. Is there stuff around you? Yeah. And people and things made of matter. Okay, well, that matter had to come from somewhere. The cosmological argument is where did all of this matter come from? Uh, the, the teleological argument is an argument from purpose. This is like when you look at the world, do you see order or do you see chaos? 
Well, there's some chaos, but there's also order where there shouldn't be. Because there's order, there must be an organizer of things. The teleological argument is that there is a God. The moral argument is that we all kind of agree. Can we all agree? Raise your hand if we agree. Murder is bad. Yeah? Okay, good, good. We're all in agreement. Uh, Universally, the entire human race has agreed murder is bad. And we can't agree on why we all believe that. We just can't. Uh, the moral argument is, is that there are things, and Paul will talk about this, that the laws of God are written on man's heart. He, he has the answer for that. But we as a culture, we're like, I don't know why we all agree this thing. The moral argument is that there must be a God because we all have like shared moral convictions in this way. Uh, real quick, here's some books that you may want to pick up. I meant to have them as displays. I have them in my office. Uh, Mere Christianity, classic book, C.S. Lewis. Oh my gosh, like this is my jam. I could, I could read some C.S. Lewis tomorrow if you want to have a book study. Uh, it, he uh, didn't write this book originally. He spoke it during World War II as the Germans were dropping bombs on Great Britain. He gets on the radio and he gives this most beautiful argument for the existence of God in Christian faith that you've ever heard. And then they took his recordings and, and they made a book out of it. And then we get mere Christianity. It comes at a time of wartime when they feel like the world might be falling apart. They're like, this must be the apocalypse. We don't know. Uh, Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. That is a, a dense book. It is a really great book for getting sharper. Um, if you have a teenager, there's a teenage version of this uh, that's co-written by Mark Matlock. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's a great book. Logic for Christians, written by a guy named Zach Lee. I graduated with Zach. This guy's 10 times smarter than me. Um, and it's this great book about all of the, the um, uh, logical fallacies people engage in and how we as Christians can think smarter as a result of it. And then uh, this was a, this last book, 10 Most Common Objections to Christianity, uh, is a book that we've used as a community group study uh, about here's some things you may have heard in our culture as to why you shouldn't believe in Christianity, and here's the answer to those things. Two groups of people that you may want to look at if you want to follow them online on YouTube or on TikTok. Uh, they're, they're both father-son teams, which is wild to me. Uh, Josh and Sean McDowell. You can go to seanmcdowell.org to look him up. Super smart guy. His TikToks, by the way, Sean McDowell's TikToks, uh, you should give them to your teenagers. They're, they're worth looking at. His ability to take issues that your kids are dealing with and give biblical answers for it trumps all other people in the, in the realm. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name, but Stuart and Cliff Nectel, maybe. Uh, if you go to giveMeAnAnswer.org, uh, this is a guy, he will stand on a college campus and just like engage in conversation in really sharp ways. Uh, they're all using their mind to love the Lord your God. We, we love God with our mind when we engage in a few uh, uh, things. If we can put that slide up, we'll close with this slide. Maybe two more. There it is. We, we love the Lord our God with our mind when we are consistent with our speech and our actions. The, the way that you live and the things that you say you believe should match up. When they don't match up, it's signs that you have a compartment and you should address that. Or someone who loves you should be like, hey, I notice, I notice that you're not being consistent. There's a word that we don't like to apply to ourselves, but there's a word for people whose actions are inconsistent with their thoughts. You know what that word is? Hypocrite, that's right. And Jesus had a lot to say about being a hypocrite. We become hypocrites when our actions don't match what we're thinking or what we say that we think. So we love the Lord our God with our mind when we're not hypocrites, when we're consistent. We love the Lord our God with our mind when our expanding knowledge also expands our worship. What you know about the world should improve and increase your worship. Uh, here's a phrase that has been very helpful to me, is that all truth is God's truth. 
So if you find truth in a song that they don't even know God, if you find truth in a piece of art, if you find truth in, in poetry and they, they don't even acknowledge God, but you find that thing to be true and you think about it, you're like, that is true. People really are that way. I really am broken in that way. I find that to be true about my experience. All truth is God's truth. And so as we grow in our knowledge, our worship should increase. All, all knowledge in science should increase your worship. All knowledge in math should increase your worship. All knowledge in the arts and music should increase your worship. And we love the Lord our God when we are quick to ask, we're quick to listen, but we're slow to jump in the conversation. Old and New Testament repeats this over and over again. We, sh- we, shouldn't, we shouldn't talk as much as we do. We shouldn't, we shouldn't sound like Fox News or CNN or MSNBC with, with an opinion and a thought about everything that comes up. There should be things that you're like, I, I really haven't thought about that much yet. And uh, I'm, ready, I'm ready to maybe just hear what you have to say. So as we uh, strive for a, a no compartment life, let's, let's, try to, let's try to beat down these inconsistencies. I'm five over, I apologize. Uh, let me pray and then we will, um, we will watch the queue together. Father, uh, we come to you, uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge that um, we know that we're fallible in our mind, um, but you invite us to love you with it. So help us to be consistent. Uh, help, us, help us to be honest when we don't know something and just say, I don't know. Uh, help us to be, be meek and humble in the things that we do know. Always curious, always, always looking to know more about your creation. Help us never to shy away from things that are of you or true about you, but because it's in a genre that we don't like, we avoid it. Help us not to shut people down in conversations or dismiss people that disagree with us. Um, Lord, help, help us to love you well and to worship you with our mind. Um, we, we need consistency and less hypocrisy, and we need your help because we're weak in that. Uh, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.